Hey, welcome to the Rethinking Trump and Transition podcast. And today we've got Mark Magnor on from Greater Manchester Police. And we're going to be talking about the Forcer Protocol. So thank you very much, Mark, for kind of agreeing to join us. I know we met briefly when we were all down in, in London at the Forcer Protocol launch. And it was really kind of you to offer to come on and have that conversation with us. So thanks. Yeah. What was really appreciated by everybody in the room was the fact that when we were in London, it was very apparent from your conversation that not only did you represent the Greater Manchester Police, but you're a veteran yourself. I am, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I I served with the uh, the King's Own Royal Border Regiment from uh, 1999 to 2005 um, and did numerous operational tours. I did some time in Belize, Northern Ireland, the Falklands. Uh, two and a half years in Cyprus. So I think it's important for veterans to be involved in veterans' care because, you know, you've got that sort of understanding. I'm not sure say, saying you'll understand everything that, that's going on with somebody, but it's important that you do have veterans involved uh, and because you've got that, that camaraderie and that sort of uh, view of, of, of their life and what they've, what they've been through. So I think that's really important. Yeah. They say it's that mutual understanding, isn't it, Mark? You've been Absolutely. through similar experiences and it's very much, very much relatable to one another. Yeah, it's having that trust, isn't it? Because I think yeah. I think there is that trust element, isn't there? Because people who you've served with or have been in other regiments, you, know, you can have that sort of, uh, you know, I, I work with Jeff Hurst, who, who's helped me a lot within GMP. He's, he's ex-Navy. And we and we wind each other up all the time about me being ex-Navy. Being Navy because well, they, they deserve it, Mark. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so, so that's what we do, you know. And, and I think that's that banter between each other is, you know, it, it sort of moves things along and, and yeah. helps, helps with a lot of things, so... Really good. I think it's almost that familiarity, isn't it? Where you you're with somebody that has the same rules, the same approach, same values, same core behaviours and beliefs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You, you understand that where, where they've been, what, what what training they've been through. You know, the the, the hard times and, and the good times, and it's I think it's important to. To, to have that understanding of each other, and I think it, it does work. That I think, you, like like you said, it's all about that trust, isn't it? If if you've got a veteran who's leading this for, for GMP, then I think that will help bring the community on board because the, you know because you've got an understanding of how they're feeling. Mm-hmm. We would agree, Phil. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So part of the reason, <clears throat> excuse me, part of the reason why Ali himself set up this podcast and our organisations is to. Look at the emotional journey of the service leaver and also the families as well, which is kind of left out of that equation from that transition. And what a lot of leavers find is they're not then equipped to deal with that emotional journey and they can end up in trouble if you if one of a better expression. And I'm guessing this is where you you've kind of stepped in with Greater Manchester Police and helping out with that journey, but on the more of the harder end of things. We're doing a lot of work within, within Greater Manchester Police. Uh, we're very close with, with Jim Jones and, and uh, Assistant Chief Constable Chris Sykes, so we put a lot of support in place within, within GMP for, for veterans' communities. So, so we're doing a number of things at the moment. In June and July 2022, we're only recruiting one veteran per intake, and, and we understand that they've got really, really valued transferable skills. So we, we've done proactive recruitment from within the veterans community, and now we're sort of recruiting ten per intake. Which, if you think out of a, out of a hundred people on an intake, ninety people, you know, you're, you're over ten percent there, aren't you? So that, that's really good, and they bring a lot of value to us. You know, we, we have 
We currently have more reservists within GMP than we do anywhere else in the Northwest. Uh, and we encourage reservists by offering an extra two weeks paid leave per year, which enables them to, to go away on these courses and, and be part of their uh, armed forces community. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we had issues with the with the firearms course, so we, we had people struggling to pass that course just because they hadn't, they hadn't got any firearms experience. But Jim's done a lot of work uh, in relation to getting getting more recruits, uh, veterans into that armed, uh, firearms course, uh, and the pass rate has gone up significantly. So you know that's some of the work we're currently doing. Uh, we, we do more of Nova referrals anywhere else in the UK. So when people currently come into custody and they're, they're there for, for various reasons, but that support is still in place. So, so we're not always saying that, that they are a suspect of crime. We, we, we're saying that, the, that even though you are a suspect of crime, uh, there, there, is, there is that support out there to try and repeat, reduce that repeat, repeat demand, really, and repeat offending. And I think people find that reassuring as well is... They're not there just to be right, be processed through the judicial system. There's the extra support on the outside as well that people that they can be referred to if they want it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. and I think that's important, isn't it? Because you know, you know, we, we've got to understand why people are there in the first place. And and a lot of veterans will get involved in various crime, will get involved in domestic violence, for example, because of potential trauma or PTSD that they are suffering with. Um, that it will affect relationships. So, you know, it's for us to understand and make sure that that veteran plus their family get the right support to try and sort of stop that uh, repeating itself. That's one of the things that Rich and I are very aware of is that even if you take things like, I suppose, the big ticket stressors like PTSD, CPTSD, trauma out of the picture, there's also a significant challenge just with the stress of transitioning from the military into civilian career and, and lifestyle. Yeah. And that's very much round about the the loss of structure, the loss of community, and oh. the change in terms of operating now within a community and a work environment where there isn't the shared values, there isn't the shared beliefs. You can't take all of that for granted, which you can in the military, which you sometimes see impacts, maybe not necessarily immediately, but anything up to five or ten years post-leaving, where there's almost that space to go, actually, what is the purpose of my role? What, where is, where am I headed and what am I part of? And I suppose for me, it's interesting because I'm very conscious that a lot of ex-military do seek out careers within things like the Blue Light Services, purely and simply because it is almost that continuation of that sense of purpose and of that sense of service there and the structure. Yeah, so, so when I left, left the Army, I left the Army uh, in late 2005, you know, I, I, I struggled for a while because you're used to that sort of, you know, you, you're up early in the morning, you get up, you get people in, you know, inspecting the, the block, you get people inspecting your room and you're out for a run and then you're doing different sorts of training and you're having a, you're having a laugh, aren't you, all the way along that day. Uh, and then you, you come out in civilian, civilian society, civilian street, and you don't have that. You just go into work and, and people... And not mixing after work. So I think that's that, that that's the key in the army. You're all living together, aren't you? So mm. you know you've got that. You know you can have that banter, all, you know, all throughout the evening and throughout the day. But but I found that I, I actually um, became a security officer at Cal's factory when I first left uh, the, the army, uh, and I found it really difficult. I found that 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 sort of security work, I sort of tried to compare it with the security work I'd done within the infantry in the army, and it, and it wasn't anything like that. And I think it's sort of, uh, because 
the job wasn't overly exciting for me. It sort of played on my mind then about what I'd left and, and, and the colleagues I'd left behind. But then joining Great Manchester Police, I first joined Lancashire Police actually as a PCSO. And I found that I'd sort of found my place. I mean, I thought, sort of thought I'd found a group of people that, that were on the same wavelength as me, even though they weren't ex-veterans. You know, they, they, they were dealing with all sorts of different elements of life and I was bringing that life experience with me and bringing those communication skills with me to be able to have chats with people like normal conversations you know not political conversations just normal chats with normal members of the public having cups of tea with with, with older members of the community and they've been verbal etc and I just thought I found that, that that was the right career for me so I, so I moved to GMP in 2008 became a police officer then and I found that that my career sort of progressed from there. And GMP have been really supportive more in recent years, but really supportive of, of the veterans community and really supportive of, of me throughout my career. And, you know, I've only got 15 years in the police. But throughout that, you know, a number of people have, have approached me and, and, and offered me their support to work through the promotion process. So, you know, throughout that, throughout that career progression, there's been lots of mentoring and lots of help from all sorts of different people, whether they're veterans or not. But they sort of understand and then they can see the skills that you bring with you. So, uh, and I think that's what, what what we're doing in GMP. We're making sure that we're using skills from outside policing uh, to to make better changes to policing. Yeah, that was something I was going to pick up on as well. As Great Manchester Police allowing those reservists to go away and do those courses, that's bringing extra skill sets back into that police service that may be crucial at some point as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Because you know they're going away doing all sorts of training. I mean, we've got we've got colleagues who've currently gone with the RAF to the Falklands for six months. We've got other colleagues that go and do you know John Ward, for example. John Ward is our reservist lead. He is he's currently a WO two, and I can't remember what which regiment which he'll be crossing me for. But um, he's currently working with with that regiment at the moment. He's been there for probably the last twelve months. So that's um, it isn't no longer paid by GMP. It's paid by the forces. But it shows that the support that, that once he's finished that, that 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 attachment, he can then come back to policing. And uh, and there's like I said, there's people that have gone to the Falklands. They'll be there for four to six months, and then they'll come back and, and start their policing career again. And I think it's really good that that, that we were given that opportunity because it, it's almost a little bit like a career break, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, policing time can be stressful. It can be stressful for, for young in service officers, and it's good for them to get that. That, that break and, and also go and look at how other people are doing things because, like I said, they're, they're going to bring that skill set back to us. And, you know, we're looking at changing the policy of student officers. At the moment, student officers can't have that two weeks because of all the intense training that they have when they join the police. But so that's another area we're looking into. Um, allow them to have that time off work as well to be able to go back and be a reservist. So, you know, there's lots of support we're putting in place and there's lots of lots of more elements. You know, we're looking into introducing OPNOVA within our occupational health. And that's a little side sort of piece of work I'm going to look at with, with Steve Law from OPNOVA to see whether we can offer that support to veterans within policing, not, not just veterans within the community. My next thought is that how did you actually come to get involved in this, this piece of work? Because this has been a massive labour of love and labour of a, a real passion project for so many people. And it's taking so much hard work. I'm not going to underestimate, and I haven't, and I only have a glimpse of that very, very narrow glimpse of that. The effort that's gone in to make this happen. So, how did you end up getting involved in that, Mark? So, actually, Claire Lily was introduced to Steve Law, who's from up north, and 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 Jim Jones, 
actually got an email from Claire and he, he followed the email on to me saying, I'm not sure what this is about, hey, can you make contact with Claire? And that was sort of December last year. So I had the conversation with Claire and as soon as I heard her story or Alan's story, you know, I was sort of hooked. I thought that this is, we, we, we have to do something here. And at the time it was being sort of run by Cleveland Police. I'm not quite sure why they sort of took a back step, but, but they did. And I had that conversation with Claire to say, um, say, us here at GMP, we'll, we'll help you. We'll get this to where it needs to be. So we had that working group of Claire Lilly and uh, Alan Reese cooper Charlie Hedges from Safe and Phone Online, Steve Law, people from the NHS, Fiona Didcock from, from Thames Valley Police. You know, so we had that group and we had these, these sort of monthly meetings which didn't really achieve much initially. And we, then we made the meetings every two weeks. Uh, and it started to sort of gather some speed. It was difficult to sort of understand what we were going to do first. What would the process be? But but it was sort of decided that the that the Herbert protocol was already in place with Safe and Found Online, and it's an ideal you know to, to, well, why reinvent the wheel? You know that's an ideal process that's already in place that we can use. But then add that unique part at the end where there's that single veterans pathway at the end to make sure people get in support. So for, from from day one. Uh, I was engaged and passionate about it. You know, when, when you when you talk to Claire and people will, you know, people will talk to her, you've talked to her yourself, you? you can see the passion in her. You know, yeah. she, she lives and breathes this. So, and she's really brought everybody else along with her, which is, which is fantastic. Would you I mind, think- Mark, explaining a bit about the Herbert Protocol? Because I think that'd be quite a useful segue into this as well. Yeah, yeah so, so the, the Herbert Protocol, uh, most forces in the country are currently on paper with this. So that that's where members of family uh, that have got a dementia parent or, or family member, someone that's suffering with dementia, uh, they will do similar to the force protocol where they will provide information. So, for example, it'll be information about their, their current diagnosis and information about, like, for example, addresses where they used to live, uh, places where people are buried, etc. because they are the places that people with dementia sort of go back to because they sort of, they've got that mindset of when probably 20, 30, 40 years ago. So they might go back to an address where they used to live when they were growing up. So it's important for us to have that information because that that, that information is like a golden nugget, isn't it? You know, if we can if we know that they've gone to one mystery because they lived there 50 years ago, then that's where we're sending officers to. And that's that's the same with the, with the force approach going. We've got information about where someone goes, where they walk the dog, you know, where they like to hang out. Do they like going camping anywhere? That, those, that sort of information. And we can go and find them, can't we? We can we can, we can be there for them uh, and try and put that, that help and support in place. Uh, and it's not about we, we have to find them. You know, we, we we will find people, but then it doesn't mean we have to tell anybody where they are. If that, that person's an adult, if we find them, we can say, look, you have been reported missing. Are you okay? And get the help and support you need. But we don't need to go and tell family. We can tell family that we we, we found that person and they're safe and well. But it doesn't mean we, we then go and say, yeah, they're, they're on that hill over there. You know, we don't do that. We, we will then just support that, that that veteran and not not all the time go back and, and, and speak to family, you know. I think that's an interesting part that I think is important that people recognise is that we all have a right to privacy. We all have a right to make decisions. And sometimes those decisions are that actually I want to change where I am or who I am with or the people that I actually choose to communicate with, and that's our that's everybody's free choice. But it, that can also be distressing for the other party if they're maybe not clear in that message or maybe they have concerns. 
I think what was interesting for me is is that there's a huge amount of statistics out there in terms of the level of suicide within the UK and across the globe. And it's far too high. What's really startling is when you think that we lose one veteran a week on average as a result of suicide. And if some of that can be prevented by better information and by making that as accessible as possible to those that need it at the point they need it, then I'm all for that. But I think what's also interesting, and I'm sure we'll go on to that, Mark, is almost like the control points that are in place for that in terms of that data, because I know that that's something that would be quite concerning for a few people to make sure that they would, I'm sure we'll talk about it. But I suppose, can you give us an overview of the force or protocol, what it actually is? Yeah, so um, so, so like I said, it's, it's, an online, it's an online system. So Safe and Found Online are completely independent of the policing. Um, so, so they are encouraging veterans to upload their information onto Safe and Found Online, which is a really secure uh, online portal uh, that no one has access to unless someone is reported missing. So, for example, my son now is is uh, goes missing. He's a veteran. I've uploaded my son's information because I'm concerned for his mental health, and then he gets reported missing. But he might not be reported missing by me. He might be reported missing by by a third party, for example. So, the police then will have access sort of side access for a password system into Safe and Found Online. We can put his details in and we can then pull off all that data, which all that information, all that intelligence about my son, which they can then make a, a more informed risk assessment. Because that's what, that's what happened with Alan. You know, the, the coroner was quite clear that, that we, we, we hadn't made the right risk assessment. There was lots of other, you know, Claire will explain that in more detail. But the, 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 there's errors. And policing, police, we, we do make errors at times. We've got to try and remove as many as those as we can. We've got to remove that human element. We've got to have the information, haven't we? We can only work on information that we have. We can't work on information that we don't have. So the more information we have, the better risk assessment we can make. Then we can try and help find that missing person. So that call then comes into the police, reporting someone missing. In GMP, we now ask whether someone is a veteran and which member of the force has deserved in Army, Navy, Navy. Area. And that's unique because we, we never did that before. We, we've got no data from last year because we didn't do that. We didn't ask missing people whether they're a veteran or not. So that, that, that's a brand new system within GMP. That's never been written into policy. So, uh, for example, last week, over a thousand people were asked that question, are you a veteran? Mm-hmm. And then once they confirm whether they're a veteran, which member of the, 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 the force they are, I mean, it doesn't matter if they, if they, if they don't know which branch they are. As long as they answer yes to that question, that gets switched over to our force operations centre and then they'll access safe and found online. So what we've done is we've put it in an area of business where there's sort of 20, 30 officers who work alongside our critical incident manager. So we've not given access to everybody. We've given access to a small amount of people who are on duty 24 hours a day who then can access safe and found online. And it's, I think that's really important because we want some scrutiny around it. We want some integrity around that system to, 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 to make sure that only a you know, it can be audited and there's only a few members that can that, that can access that information. So we'll then pull that information from Safe and Found Online. That will then get passed to our district sergeants and inspectors and they can then start to review that information and look at what the risk assessment is. And that's really important because we, depending on what the risk is, depending on what we do as in policing, you know, we can't, we, we have 
over 900 missions a day nationally. Uh, and we can't put resources into every mission. We can't do that. So we've got to assess things and, and prioritise. But when we've got that information and we, and we understand what the risk is around that veteran, then you know the likelihood is we, we're going to put more resources into that into that missing person. Uh, and that's putting units and, and patrols into the right areas, isn't it? You know, we can we can send officers all, all all over the place, but that's not that's not defining what we're doing. And that's where information is really really important to policing because then we can say actually yes. We've got an idea where this person might be. Let's send patrols to that area. Let's search that area. And that helps us find people quicker, which means we find people quicker. It'll hopefully prevent them from, from doing anything that, that would cause risk themselves, risk their own life. And then we can help them, which is where the Veterans Pathway comes in without notice. So that's about making sure that for policing, we don't get that re- repeat demand because we've put that support in place. And more importantly for that veteran, that they're able to have help and then go back to their family and friends and start to enjoy their life instead of, you know, feeling as they do and, you know, reach out and get that, that support. You know, so we, we're currently losing one veteran per week to suicide. And, and to me, that, that's completely unacceptable. You, you know, we wouldn't accept that in any other section of the community and it needs to end. So, you know, the, the, the veteran pathway and, and the FOSA protocol will hopefully reduce those numbers and for me, we, we need to reduce them so, so we don't have any. And, and that that veterans pathway is gonna is gonna allow people to get the support they need, whether that's through Op Courage, Op Nova, you know, all different departments, whether it's Op Forty Two, help with money, help with relationship issues, uh, and hopefully by providing all that support to veterans, then we can we can start to sort of reduce that number. Uh, and we I have think- to reduce that number. It's it's not it's not a choice, is it? We we, we have to do that. Mm-hmm. That was really powerful for me was to see the join up of the services and the provision so that it's not just about locating and finding somebody when they're in crisis, but it's it, there's the follow on after that that's now in play. That's the, the coordination of services to support that, which I thought was phenomenal. I was I was so pleased to see that. Yeah, yeah, it's so important, isn't it? You know, and and, and the, the support along the way, not just from the small working group, but, but contact from all, all all areas, all walks of life. You know, I, I had contact just this week from from Wigan right right into NHS Trust. You know, saying what can we do to help, um, and loads loads of different people, Scotty's little soldiers, etc., all coming forward to saying we want to be part of this this process, part of this referral pathway, and it's really really important that. That everybody comes together and everybody does come together, don't they? Do you know what I mean? The, the veterans community is really tight knit and people will do anything they can to, to help. Yes. I think as well is what's really good is bringing all those disparate organizations and there's a lot of disjoint, there's a lot of charities out there quite disjointed. But what I was going to ask you about, Mark, is how important is that to have in policy? the force of protocol rather than having it as like a document somewhere that's pinned up on a wall. Yeah, so so having it in policy brings longevity in policing. We we, we do a lot of things to, uh, to to change little bits of policing elements. So, for example, if we've got high burglaries in an area, then we'll put a system in place, an operation in place to reduce burglaries because that's what matters to communities. Um, but, we, we, but, we're, but it's not always in policy. That sort of let's deal with what's happening now. And it might be next week that we actually push that problem over a border somewhere else and we have to create something else to deal with that issue. So but but this is this is 
to, to provide longevity for this, so that's why it's been written into policy. So that's now within GMP's missing from home policy. It sits within uh, the Herbert Protocol, sits next to the Herbert Protocol and the Philomena Protocol. So the Philomena is for the children in care, and Herbert is obviously for dementia, as we discussed earlier. And that, because it's now in policy, that's like a Bible to us, really. That's that's what we work off, you know. That's where we get all our guidance from. So so that's why it's in policy. It allows it to, to remain there. It doesn't, doesn't alter. You know, we can make tweaks to it if we need to, but but it, it sort of is set in stone now. As part of that longevity, what, what we're doing in GM, uh, GMP is that we're, um, we, we've are we put it within our training school. So, so the FOSA protocol now is part of missing from home training at Sesley Park. So when new people join the police, uh, which we're currently getting about 90 every five weeks, they that they will get that training. They will get that insight into what the FOSA protocol is and how important it is. Uh, I'm going to go myself and, and do some training with, with some of the student officers to put my part across and to explain how, how really important that is. And then once the officer gets into their 10-week tutor phase, uh, which is which is out of training, but within, within a district, so that so they work with a tutor constable and they, they learn how to be a police officer, as in operationally. Again, we're going to do a recap on the on the force of protocol to make sure that the officers have got that awareness when they go independent patrol. So when that missing veteran does come in, the police, that officer's got knowledge and know-how about to deal with it and what additional questions need to be asking uh, to that to those family members. And, that, and that's really, really important. You know, we're looking at other areas of business as well, you know, looking at how we get that message across. So, so the, the force sports car has been on every briefing across the force. Uh, we have a daily briefing to officers to, to tell them what the priorities of the day are, etc. So that's been part of that training. We've had training within our uh, force contact centre. There's posters up in every police station, which has got the, the QR codes on the QR code for Opnova referral and the QR code for the force protocol so they can get more information. But I think the QR code, I mentioned this in London, but it's, it's a very small thing for Opnova. But me and Steve Law came up with doing the, the QR code because you've got to make things easy. If things are difficult to do, if referrals are difficult to do, people don't do them because they're busy. You know, police officers across the country are really, really busy people. You know, they're going job to job all day long and they're working really hard. So if you, we've got to take away that element of what's difficult. So we made something really easy by just scanning a QR code. Every officer's got a laptop. Every officer's got a work mobile phone now. So they can scan that QR code and they can quickly make that referral. I'm not saying to rush that referral, but it gives them easy access, which is, which is what's really important because, you know, officers... Even though we've had a missing veteran, yeah, we've, we've found that missing veteran, we've put in support in place. We've got, to, we've got to understand that that officer then needs to go to the next incident. You know, there's another incident happening. There's another, it might not be a missing veteran, it might be a burglary, it might be uh, some sort of violent crime, etc. We've got to go to that next incident. So that's why it's really important to make things really, really simple. Yeah. But because we've put everything into policy, it's provided us with that longevity now. So it's we're looking at how we keep that in, keep that going. Myself and Jeff Hurst and, and the team at, at GMP, Jane Hine, John Barnes, etc., are all working hard every day to, to look at new ways of, of communicating this out. So, so we've just designed posters to go out to the NHS so that they can go into uh, these posters can be displayed in A&E, dental practices, GP surgeries, anywhere where someone's sat for a period of time waiting. You know, that poster's there in front of them. Have a look at what the force protocol is. Have a look. There, there's a QR code. Have a look. 
and it, and it suits you, then upload your information and we can then, um, you know, Safe and Found Online can store that for you. And if at any point you do go missing or you're concerned that someone will go missing, then, you know, that information's there for us to, to find. Yes. I was going to make it clear that though Jeff Hurst and John Barnes aren't ex-footballers. <laughs> no, no. I, yeah, our, our, our structure within GMP is... Um, so ACC Sykes is our strategic lead. You've, uh, you've got you've got myself and Jane Hyam. Jane's at the head of vulnerability, and then you have got John Barnes and Jeff Hershey. So they're not footballers. It sounds like a football team, doesn't it? But they're not. Uh, Jeff's a business analyst or project manager now, so he he does a lot of work. Sort of how we roll out projects and how we keep that momentum going. And John Barnes is our missing from home uh, single point of contact. So he's our what we call Spock for for, for that area of business. So he looks in our Spock. Uh, so he's, he is that for our area of business. Uh, so he looks at all missing across the force. John, again, is a, is a veteran. So is Jeff. So Jeff's Navy. And I think I think John was Army. So, you know, we, we have got veterans within our, our network and within our sort of uh, our structure. So I think what, what I really like is the instantness, the, the speed at which that referral can be made. Because you're right, if you don't make something easy, if you make it too laborious, then all you're doing is creating roadblocks and yeah. adding pressure into an already very pressurised system and process. But the fact that yeah. that referral can be done on the phone, there and then, instantaneously, before you move on to the next call, means that actually the likelihood of use increases tenfold because you've enabled its use in the most sensible and, and ease of access way that you possibly can. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said to you before, that, that, that's really important. You know, officers are really busy. You know, there's a lot of incidents. We get 35,000 incidents a week in, in Great Manchester, which is a lot of incidents to deal with. And, and veterans only play a small part of that. So what, so what it is, is you've got to make a process that's really simple for people to be able to just make quick referrals. Uh, and then professionals, because police officers are not, not mental health professionals. You know, they are, you know, they have an awareness of mental health, but it's not for us to determine how that support should work. So it's about that single pathway. It's not for officers to make the decision, is it PTSD, is it other elements of mental health, et cetera. It's not for them to do that. It's for that single pathway. They do the referral, they provide the details, and then it's for Northern them to then look into how they can redirect that person to the right care. Yeah, because I think in some cases, people want police officers to be knowledge in all aspects of law and all you know, to be everything to everybody, which they obviously can't be. You can't be a social worker. You can't be a lawyer. You can't be this, that, and the other. You just have a really good general experience. Yeah, yeah. So, so we, we, you know, we, we, we can't be. We, 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 do, we deal with a lot more mental health than we used to deal with. We deal with a lot more sort of children at risk, etc. You know, lots of things that isn't, um, is more the welfare side of policing than actual crime side of policing, which is fine, you know, but, but we're not professionals in those areas. So we, we have to put systems in place that allows officers to do the best they can for that person. But then it's, it's to be handed over then to, to, to sort of Bob Norbrock, who is the NHS, to then put put things in place to put that to, to, to help and support people. You know, we, we can't be in a position where we have to determine, you know, what, what the issue is. We, we can broadly say, yes, it's mental health problems, mental health issues, but... We can't determine, we're not professionals to say, actually, it's this element of mental health. I think that's really important, is recognising that the role of the police force and the, in, in these situations isn't 
one of treatment isn't one of resolution. It's an intermediary step which says, okay, we have you, you're safe. Now we need to signpost you to somebody that has the skills, whose area of expertise is this, who has the resources that can now take over the case management of that, take over that support that you need right now, put that in play for you, but in a way that's going to limit the stress and pressure. Because I think that was one of the things that was important for me was the joined up working, because quite often what you get and you hear a lot of is people who are as stressed as, as about the processes of of accessing the support as they are prior to the support because if you have multiple points of access and multiple referral points that you have to go through when you are in crisis when you're already in a point of overwhelm then that just magnifies that and the capacity for you the individual to do that is significantly reduced what i liked about the pro the force of protocol and the way it's been rolled out is that single point of contact which takes over and, and reduces that burden, removes that multiple referral stream and helps coordinate that so that it, it's that joined up thinking, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So, so we, we are, it's not just about the force protocol. So we, we encourage it and we are encouraging more for officers any interaction with a veteran who should be doing an open over referral. So as long as that person's consenting and, and they want the help, you know, so it's homelessness, if it's a domestic incident, that's another thing we need to look into. Do we ask if someone's a veteran at a domestic incident? We don't currently. That's not part of the questioning. Uh, do social services in Manchester ask that question? And I think there's all these different points that we can sort of develop and, and refine to, to put that additional support in place. So what I'm doing is I'm encouraging officers for any interaction with a veteran, they need to be doing a referral because it might not be a mental health problem it might be something that they've, that they've developed some unemployment recently. They've got a few money issues, a few money worries. You know what the current climate is in the moment. You know with electricity bills, etc. You know people do struggle, don't they? So it might it might be just that little nudge, that little referral that might not seem a lot to somebody, but to an officer, but that will really change people's lives. Really, that you know that that referral could could potentially change someone's life. So. That that's what we're trying to encourage officers to do. Any interaction with a veteran is to to make that referral uh, into the into the single veterans pathway. Cool. Brilliant. How long is this protocol? What's the rollout period in time for that, please, Mark? Yeah. So initially, we've set a six month timescale on that. But as the MPCC have already sort of uh, alluded to, is that this is this is going to be rolled out as a national a national system across. 43 police forces across England and Wales and also Scotland they're also part of the NPCC and they're, they're interested in having that protocol as well so the six month period really is, is to iron out any issues you know because uh, myself and Jeff have done reviewing the process so we, we review every veteran missing that we have and make sure that we follow the correct procedure follow the policy and we, we, we just make those little tweaks and if we need to make those tweaks and make things work more efficiently so then we can provide a blueprint then for the uh, for the other forces across across England and Wales so you know that, that's what this pilot is about it's making sure that there's a demand for, for the process making sure that we, we get enough referrals in to uh, excuse me support people across um, Greater Manchester but then it's about ironing out those issues so it, it Every new process is going to have some sort of issues with it, and so you know nothing just runs as planned. So it's about ironing out those problems, and then um, and then providing that 
that overview and that, that blueprint to um, to the NPCC so it can be rolled out nationally. So the rollout, just I suppose to clarify, you've got the FORSA protocol, which is about getting information, valuable, vital information to first responders at a point when they need, when they are notified that there's somebody in crisis, that there's somebody that might need some additional support that people are concerned about. And then you have the Veterans Pathways, which is like a, a network of veteran organisations that have come together with a single point of referral yeah. that, that you can then refer on. And both of those are rolling out potentially nationally now over the over the next timescale. Yeah, so, that, so, so I mean, you, you sort of split it into two areas there. I always see this as, as, as one, one system, really. We've got the FORSA protocol, which is the uploading of information, police accessing that. And making the right risk assessment, but, but the pathway is always part of that process. It's never, you know, it's never separate from that. It, it's a it's a free free step approach. So we've got the information being uploaded on safe and found online. We've got the the police making uh, making that risk assessment. So that's step one. Step two, very sort of basically, is is us finding and locating that missing person safe and well, and putting the resources into the right location. And 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 stage three or step three is the referral pathway. So it is It is all one system and that whole system will, will move uh, with, with, as part of the blueprint uh, to, to be passed to all the forces. I think the reason I, I, I talked about them as, as separate elements, although I agree they are very joined yeah. up and that's what I absolutely love, is because I'm also very aware of the fact that, as you're saying, you're, you now have a policy of when somebody is in custody, when they, they first <coughs> have that point of custody, they are now asked, are you a veteran? And that at that point then gives you the opportunity to refer again into the veteran pathways for additional support for them yeah. there too. So, so there's multiple entry yeah, points yeah. into that secondary access and support. Yeah, yeah. So, so I see it as one system as the force protocol, including the veterans pathway. But um, but like I said, you know, we're encouraging people because we, for me, why are we waiting for people to go missing? We're, Mm-hmm. There's no need to do that, is there? We need to be in a position where we're putting referrals in before people go missing to prevent that happening. And that's what this is about. So the pathway can be used in all elements of policing, whether that's a domestic incident within custody, whether it's someone who's homeless. It can be used in all elements of life. But, yeah, so it can be used in all elements of our support network for veterans. Referrals can be made whenever an officer comes into contact with a veteran. But obviously, I'm seeing it as sort of a force protocol uh, veterans pathway. Yeah. But, but it can be used at any point. So, you know, that, that's, that's, that's what's even, even better. But it's not just about the, the missing people. Yeah. It's about support continuously. Yeah, it is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Really good to see. Is there any points you'd like to summarise or key takeaways for anybody who's listening in? Yeah, so I think what's what's really important for people to understand is that this is not the police gathering up your information. This is safe and found online, but the process in place which allows you to store key information about you or someone you care about. Uh, and the police don't just access that information. The police will access that information uh, when someone is reported missing, and, and that information is absolutely key to policing. We need that information to be able to, to find and locate people. And even when we locate people, if they've decided to go along with a different path within their life, you know, they've decided to move to a different area, or they decide that, that that their current partner isn't for them, or whatever their situation is, we don't then go back to partner and say, oh yeah, by the way, that they, they, they are where they are. We don't say that. At the end of the day, you're an adult, so you've got the choice to be missing. You've got the choice 
um, to, to, to leave whatever your current situation is. But it's important for us, you policing, if there's a concern for your welfare, if there is a risk to your life, then we have, we have an obligation to find you and we will do our absolute utmost to find you and make sure you're safe and well and provide you with that support. But it doesn't mean that we're going to report back to family to say where you are. We, we will happily report back and say that you're safe and well, but it doesn't mean that we're going to report back to say where you are. So please trust the system. The system is very secure, safe and found online. Been working with the Herbert Protocol in West Yorkshire for, for the last six months. We really need the information from veterans to be able to help find people quickly. Yeah. I'm going to underline that because I think it's really important. So my understanding, Mark, is that Safe and Found has a database that sits separate from the police resources. Yes, it is entirely separate and really confidential and controlled. And the only way a member of the police force can access that is if they are provided with a QR code or a link to that specific information at the point of notification that there's somebody at risk. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, so if that call comes in, we will access information about that single person, okay? And it's all through a, a two-way authentication password system, and it's all audited, so there's no way anybody can access that without being seen that they've had access, which I think is really important. I really want to encourage people to upload their information, but understand that it is a safe, safe space for them to put their information, and the police will only access that if, if that person is reported missing. Uh, yeah. Like I said, it's all audited. So at any point, safe and found online can provide that information to me to say, absolutely, we've had people access information. But that, that, that isn't going to happen because it's a two-way. We, we have to explain why we're accessing the information. Yeah. And I think that's really important. I mean, it's important for people to understand that. Yeah. Yes. My local constabulary is Avon and Somerset. Okay. So if there's somebody from Avon and Somerset who goes missing and they're on database, there's a different process, isn't there, for them to be able to access that information to, for that police service then to go and find that missing yeah. So Yeah, so for, for example, at the moment, uh, obviously this is only being run in GMP. But if you, have, if you upload information anywhere else in the country, that, that's fine, you can do that. That's not a problem at all. All, all I'd suggest is when they ring, uh, whoever rings that police force to report somebody missing, is that they, they just explain that there's information on safe and found online and then they can access that. They can do that by contacting GMP and we can access it for them or they can contact Safe and Find Online directly. So it's really important that people upload their information wherever they are because just because you've uploaded your information in Somerset, was it, was it Somerset, sorry? They, they like to call it Avon and Sumkit because of the budget constraints, but yeah, Avon and Somerset. Okay, so Avon and Somerset. So if you, just for example, it's a great example of that. So if you upload information about a son or daughter or, or you upload information about yourself in Somerset, but you go missing in Manchester. So you, you you move away from home, you meet a new girlfriend, boyfriend, and you you only know each other for a small period of time, and, and, and you have an argument, and, and the veteran goes missing. So the girlfriend now rings up and reports you missing in Manchester. Well, the girlfriend, because they've only known each other for a small time, won't know anything about this veteran, or very little. But because you've uploaded the information in, in Avon Sunset, we can access that information. So it's like a national... Uh, intelligence system for missions, which is absolutely key to policing and key to, to finding people safe and well. So that's where it really comes into play is where, where you've uploaded information outside of, of, of the force that are being reported missing, but we can still access that information then to help us uh, formulate risk assessment and find somebody. 
Definitely. So just to reiterate, you don't have to be in Greater Manchester to load your information onto Safe and Found. Anyone currently in the UK can load your information onto Safe and Found to create a record under the Forcer Protocol in relation to the Forcer Protocol. Yeah, absolutely. That means that as it rolls out, hopefully there is there is enough information in there so that even if you are not in the Greater Manchester area, then your your the people in your life that care about you that are making that phone call, if they know that you have a force of protocol record there, a force of protocol data entry, then they can ask that police service or make that police service aware that this information exists and make that accessible. Yeah, so all they do is ring that police force, report somebody missing, and they've just made that call handle aware that, that, that there's a safe and found online record uh, and, and just to advise them how to access that. They can either contact Great Manchester Police or they can, um, or they can uh, the, the flat force can contact safe and found online or themselves. And then they can provide, uh, safe and found online will provide uh, a sort of PDF document with that information on if, if required or if that information is there. So that's, that's quite straightforward. So even though it's it is GMP run at the moment, the the, the sooner we get that sort of national database uh, of information up and running and so can find out that information, then it all assists us in the rollout of, of, of the force protocol. Fantastic. So is there any last words you'd like to, to add, Mark, just before we, we offer a heartfelt thanks for the work you're doing, because it's very much appreciated. Uh, just, just to really, you know, say thank you for all, for all the support of, you know, hundreds of charities. Thank you for the support of Claire and, and Safe and Found Online because we, we have worked really closely together. I mean, we, we've we've not just become sort of colleagues; we've become like a, a little family, really. You know, and we are we are friends. We we, we do chat daily, whether, whether we like it or not. You know, so I think that's really important. Uh, and all I do is, is really encourage officers. Uh, wherever you are in, in, in the UK, um, to if you have that interaction with a veteran, then then, then make a referral because you, you don't know what difference you, you're making by by filling in a form that takes you a couple of minutes before you go to that next incident and, and really put that support in place. Right. Yeah, thank you, Mark. I think that's really reassuring for um, the veterans and their families out there and anybody leaving the forces as well. Definitely. Thank you so much. And we will make sure that the links for the Force Protocol mm-hmm. for Safe and Found are available in our show notes and any any uh, media we're putting out about the podcast. So that and we would encourage everybody to read it, make you sure make yourself aware of the content of it, and and please do create create that record because that could save a life. Absolutely. Thank you very much for your time, you, Stephen. It's very much appreciated.